Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Mark and Sean Hackett. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire would like to give the loyal listeners of the Moving Iron Podcast a free alliance camouflage, uh, you know, baseball cap, hunting season out there. You got the blaze orange lettering with the camouflage background. I'll tell you right now, I don't know more, what more you'd want than something like that. Get yourself one of those. Sean wears it when he goes alligator hunting down in Florida. <laughs> so keeps the alligator can't see him that way because he's got camouflage on his head. So he they, he blends right in with the surroundings. So he does that. He does that all the time when he's down there hunting gators. So if you want that? Send the email to marketingaxontire.com and you'll get all the uh, all the great glorious awesome nature of that hat sent right to your doorstep. So send the email to marketingaxontire.com. And they will get that over to you ASAP. Also, if you're interested in coming to the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th of 2023. Hard to believe that we're already talking about that, but it'll be here before you know it. If you're interested in doing that, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com and be one of the first 150 people to do that. And you will get a $50 discount on your um, registration fee from the great folks over at Axon Tire. So send me an email at marketing or no send me an email moving iron podcast moving iron podcast.com and i will uh get that discount for you if you want that free baseball cap send a email to marketing and axon tire.com valid transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years call parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at valid transportation our goal is to help you reach yours no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctional pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. Their Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Correct, correct. Connect customer experience and transform how you work. 
today. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and Sean is nice enough to come and talk about what's going on in the uh, world of the markets and all the stuff that influences us. So, Sean, how are you doing this morning, man? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. We're uh, um, getting a lot of noise in markets. It was a you know big negative down day uh-huh. for most commodities yesterday. Um, I uh, just uh, just a lot of uh, a lot of noise out there. The off again, on again, off again, on again, off again, on again, reopening of China to the next Fed meeting. Are they finally done? Are they not done? Are they done? Are they not done? And uh, you know, just just seems to it just seems to continue to keep causing um, uh, bipolar uh, market sentiment on a even a day to day or you know basis here. So it's kind of kind of tough tough environment right now for any kind of trends at this point so yep. uh we'll have to see what how this plays out and of course as the further on you get closer to christmas and the volume continues to dry up and liquidity dries up you know gets can get even more uh dicey so we'll just have to see so i noticed that yesterday when i was driving around and get my little commodity market updates was not a, a banner day for the uh most most commodities out there on the uh on well the, the goldman sachs commodity index which it's kind of the bellwether index that now you know most people follow and and we follow and um you know we came right to the we retested the lows from about a month ago when we had that initial thump we had that bounce and now we're retesting so this is a really really important spot you know if you're looking at a chart this is either a double bottom uh, that you know you either make a retest or it's a little bit of a lower low or higher and then it rebounds and then you you begin to break back up to the upside, you know, or you break down and you start another leg to the downside. And we're right, like literally right at it. So this is a, a pretty important week for the market to make its decision. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, just the typical, you know, make a low bounce, make a secondary low and then rally, or, or is there something bigger going on here with China um, reopening, not happening, or I don't know, you know, I'm just, it's just something to pay attention to when you get to these, spots on charts especially a a broad index like that uh it's a pretty important week to hold and and get some rallies going here we are bouncing a little bit today but you know we'll have to see when the day trade opens up what really happens yeah yeah there's a lot of things pulling people in a million different directions so yeah it's uh pretty pretty nuts out there right now all right sean you brought up uh, by two or three weeks ago about an underwater volcano that was going off that was co- that was warming water in air in an area off of Australia that uh, needed to start cooling in order to get the El Nino uh, train to roll in there and and wanted to follow up with you and see if you had any any more updates on that. It has calmed down. You know, it, I, I, it, it's not easy to measure these underwater volcanoes. They do their best, but from the best that the smartest people that spend their time looking at underwater volcanoes they believe that it's calming down and that the warm effluent is uh, essentially ceasing and uh, you know that so it, it would appear unless that returns and sometimes they do return okay so you get a, you get a flurry it comes down then you get another flurry mm-hmm. but for now if it comes down you know there would be time for those waters to um, you know cool down some and maybe reduce the least impact from that particular um, event. So right now it is calming down. And so we'll just have to see if that's it or there's a return. But for now, it does look like we're not going to get the extended nature, um, at least of the initial eruption down there that would 
and you create a perpetual warming of that particular region that would have certainly given the El Nino a run for its money. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. So the volcano activity, volcanic activity that we've been talking about on, on this show f- for as long as I've had you on here, you talked about that quite a bit. Dr. Valentina Zarkova talked about it when we had her on here to talk about what was going on with grand solar minimums and those kind of things. And you mentioned several times that during grand solar minimums, there is a spike in volcanic activity. And typically that spike is the big volcanoes that go off. So put this in perspective, um, Mount St. Helens. Okay. Mount St. Helens was a, is a, what is it? VIC, VIC or something. How is it? Uh, volcanic explosivity index, VEI. VEI, the VEI index, VEI four. Okay, so and it goes from one to eight. Mm-hmm. Eight means we all die. So just kidding, just kidding. But eight's like crazy, crazy. I mean, like, I think there's only one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're yeah. yes, you know, the dinosaurs are gone. We're gone. You know, mm-hmm. but um, but it's kind of like the Richter scale. Every number up is an exponential, uh, diametrically more massive explosion in terms of effluent and power and and, you know in effect it's just it's dramatic um so like four to five is is just dramatically stronger um four you know so so each one of these so so typically you know the 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 really big ones are your vei fives and higher and then the the really impactful ones are your vei sixes and higher Mm. tonga was a vei six uh, Mount St. Helens, as a uh, just to relate, that was a VEI four, very significant volcano, by the way. But just just puts in perspective how large these five and sixes and sevens um, can be. You know, Mount Tambora that went off during the last grand solar cycle, minimum called the Dalton minimum, was a VEI seven. You know, another order of magnitude above what we just saw with Tonga in terms of size, quantity of of effluent aerosols in the stratosphere. So, um, you know, that's the cycle. And um, the reason that this is important is because, and by the way, even if you get fours um, and threes and five, it doesn't mean that they don't have an impact. It just means that they in of themselves, the individual eruptions that in themselves don't necessarily impact global climate uh, as a one event, cumulatively though, if you have two or three fours that go off in a year, cumulatively they will. You, you follow? It's like so. Yeah. So what we try to do is that, that what scientists try to do is to try to measure sulfur dioxide in the stratosphere, total concentrations, because you know even though a, a tambora puts it all in there, all one shot, you could have multiple threes and fours that over a period of time could put just as much sulfur dioxide over a period of time. So we, so uh, we, you know, we were able to find good data from scientists that went back, I think it was to 1300 to the now and looked at periods where sulfur dioxide in the stratosphere reached much higher concentrations than normal. And they were all um, correlated with these periods of quiet uh, solar sunspots, you know, grand solar cycle minimums. In fact, I can show a chart of, if you want me to do that, yeah, let's see a graphic. Um, uh, it's a pretty cool chart. We show it in our presentations that we've been doing here lately. Um, you see it? Yes, sir. <clears throat> so, so this is a chart of 
global stratospheric volcanic sulfate aerosols injections. And I've put titles of all the names of the grand solar cyclamins that have, that have preceded our current one, which we haven't named yet, by the way. But, um, and you can see that all these spikes in sulfur dioxide concentrations all occurred exactly during these extended periods of lower sunspot activity. And it's essentially the increase concentrations of galactic cosmic rays that bombard the Earth's surface mess up really the way that it does is it messes up the magnetic field of the mantle of the Earth. And when you do that and you distort the magnetic field, it starts to make the seismic activity of the Earth uh, wake up. And that includes increased earthquakes, by the way. Um, so, uh, so earthquakes and volcanic eruptions go up during these times of increased cosmic rays because the sun is not able to block those uh, cosmic rays from coming in to the same degree they do when it's a normal firing up sun. So that I think you know this is a very clear chart of the correlation between sulfur dioxide concentrations and grand solar cycle minimums. And the impact of this is to cool the earth. So, you know, when you have sulfur dioxide in the stratosphere, it blocks the sun, pushes it back. Mm -hmm. all on at the same time we have less sun hitting the earth to begin with right um and so that uh and and sulfur dioxide does not trap heat meaning it's not a greenhouse gas it allows heat to leave so you have sun being blocked you have less sun hitting the earth to begin with and the heat's allowed to leave it causes a significant repeatable cooling effect so the more sulfur dioxide you get in the stratosphere the more you're going to cool the earth just from that particular metric alone, not to mention the other factors we talk about where you get the contraction of the Earth's atmosphere because of the cooling of the atmosphere, because of less sun hitting the atmosphere, creating that marinal jet stream we talk about that leads to destabilization of both the polar vortex in the Arctic and the polar vortex in the Antarctic, leading to these sudden stratospheric warming events that we talked about last year that, that took place that drives can drive this very, very cold air on a more consistent basis into the lower latitudes during wintertime. It's all these things are, are kind of connected. And then they also uh, link up with the sea surface temperatures of the Pacific and of the Atlantic, which follow their own cycles. Remember, cold sea surface temperatures mean cold air, vice versa. We already have a cold Pacific. The cold Atlantic is scheduled to arrive by 2025 based on the 60 year cycle, meaning the last time that we saw the Atlantic Ocean go from warm to cold was 1965. That by the way, was the last time that we had the great salinity event <clears throat> where the Beaufort Geyer okay. in Greenland yep. uh, dumped all that fresh cold water in. And we're, it's interesting, we're starting to see this bulge of cold water starting to show up in the North Atlantic out of nowhere. And there's, you know, it's gonna take the scientists a little bit of time to determine if we're getting the change of rotation, but some speculation in some of the papers that I've, or some of the comments I've, I've read from these oceanographers, there are speculating that we might be in the early phases of that turn, which kind of fits that we, you know, we should start to see this uh, take place. So anyway, a lot of these moving pieces, Casey, you know, are something we've talked about years ago that we would start to see kind of a up as this quieting sun continues forward. And we're beginning to see more and more of these, correlations verifying and so to me it's business as usual if one has a as a as a history of as a, a framework for looking at how these things tend to evolve we're starting to see all these pieces coming into play 
Yeah, and we just saw another big volcanic eruption yesterday in, in Indonesia. It's, it's not necessarily done yet. It's it was a, with a first initial. Um, I, I, it's, I don't know if they. I forget what the name of it was. It was in Java, Indonesia. It's the highest volcano, highest altitude volcano in the world. And it, uh, from what they can, from what they can determine, it was a fifteen kilometer plume. That's a, that's more like your that 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 would be considered. It's too early to tell, but that would be something like maybe a VEI four, borderline five. We'll need more time to develop the data to see exactly how far it went up. And, and by the way, it may not be done. You know, it, it, one day it, it could blow off again, and maybe it goes higher the next time. It's we just know it went off yesterday, and it's causing all kinds of problems with people having to evacuate and ash going all over. You know, all that kind of thing. But you know. It's still a significant, even if it's just a VEI-4, that's that's still a significant eruption. But we're getting more of these, Casey. We're getting more of these. They're happening on a more regular basis. And that activity level is consistent with the chart I just showed that over time, even if you get three or four, threes or fours, they cumulatively will continue to add that sulfur dioxide in the stratosphere, further enhancing that cooling effect. Um, and why NASA you know, went back and when they looked at the last two Grand solar cycle minimums, you know, they showed significant cooling overall from normalcy uh, pretty much, you know, everywhere in the world. So it's just something that that is uh, beginning to show up more frequently now, and um, and it's going to have a, a much greater impact on weather. Because remember, once these aerosols get in the stratosphere, once they when they're put in the stratosphere, they stay there for three to four years before gravity eventually takes hold and get and pulls them back down and, and dissipates out of the stratosphere. So, you know, it's not like they, they, they're in there and are gone six months from now they're in there and they're there and they're doing their magic for the next two to three or four years. And so uh, definitely something to pay attention to. I would say so. All right. So as you look through, um, Let's talk about just inflation a little bit and how that's what how you see that affecting exports moving forward. I think that's been something I've been looking at and paying attention to. And then as you look at inflation, as you look at strength of dollar and everything like that, as we move into this January, February, March timeframe for some key export exporting of US crops around the world, take a look at that, Sean. What are some of your thoughts there? And and, and how do you what do you, what impact do you see that having on our export business moving forward? Well, I mean, if Brazil continues to have very good weather, and we believe they will, the first um, uh, impact would be the big soybean crop that starts to be harvested in February. And it could be something like 160 million metric tons, something that we've never seen before, quite frankly, the historic crop. Um, and if they start exporting that crop in large quantities, I mean, we are going to take a hit. On exports unless we remain competitive so you know that would not be good for at least a short run for u.s exports um because you know brazil has a history if they have it they sell it you know they're not like argentina that argentina has a habit of holding on to their supplies because of inflation brazil tends to get it and sell it get it and sell it so that would and then of course if our second if their second crop corn uh, that's harvested in late spring is equally as big in terms of size um and we're in that 120 or 125 millimeter ton area 
And once again, it's going to be very, very difficult to compete with the Brazilians unless the dollar really, really starts to turn significantly weaker. We do think we're going to, 2023 is the year that the U.S. dollar uh, bull market move higher reverses lower. Not sure it's going to be that impactful in the first half. We're more excited about the second half of the year for a lower U.S. dollar. If El Nino arrives, Casey, and we're looking at an early spring this year, which is our forecast, um, an early start to the, to the planting season, if we have decent moisture, we're going to be setting up for record crops. So all this is saying to me you know, that the export outlook is going to be pretty challenging outside of maybe the next few months. And that's why we really need to book some exports here, Casey, before we see that first wave of increased supply coming from Brazil. We really need to move some some product um, between now and January uh, to, to kind of fill, you know, provide some room for um, for when this bigger supply comes online. So I, I would say, in my view, I think the USDA's export expectations that they have in their uh, balance sheets right now are too high. In fact, exports are running well below what they're expecting. And I think they're going to have to lower them, which means they're going to have to increase ending stocks um, you know, in, in order to correct that. Now, the, uh, the flip side of this, Casey, is all these bean crushing plants are starting to come online in 23. And they're all you know gearing up to buy soybeans and crush it into bean oil so that they can make more of this renewable diesel that the Inflation Reduction Act pumped all kinds of money into to support. Now, we had a the mandates that came out from the government late last week, the, the market didn't like it, Casey. They came in uh, with mandates that were much lower than the market was expecting. So there seems to be a disconnect between all these plants that are coming online, expecting you know, all this renewable diesel to be made and, and the mandates that the government came out with, there seems to be a disconnect and the market sold off hard late last week on it. So I, I don't know what to make of that um, other than to say that these plants that, you know, are coming online and they're, and I, I would think that later on in the year, maybe not the first part of the year, but let's say, uh, you know, Summer onward, you know, domestic demand for soybeans is probably going to be extremely strong because there's going to be these plants and they're going to be buying beans, they're going to be crushing oil. So I think the rough patch for demand is that first half where that where those exports fall short. We can't find, we can't get competitive with Brazil, we can't get competitive. Um, um, and, and and the market factors in potential for record crops for us. There could be a demand problem there that we're worried about. At the same time, we know that the world has heard liquidated a lot of animals in the last couple of years. So unless stockpiling of feed beyond needs occurs, like China, for example, if we're just buying feed for the needs that we have, your feed demand is not going to be strong in the first half of the year. So that, those are the things to consider as we as the, as we get to the uh, end of the year and we start you know, penciling out expectations for 23 right on man well good stuff as usual sean folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing at hack of financial what's the best way to do that our website is hackett h-a-c-k-e-t-t advisors.com all kinds of you know various information on there about what we do and how we do it to see if the kind of information we put out there could be of value to your listeners right on appreciate you being on the podcast man thanks casey always a blast Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Also, check me out on 
uh, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and go to the video version of this on the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. So check that out there. Um, <clears throat> everything Moving Iron related you can find at movingironllc.com. The latest blog posts as well as um, uh, information about the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. But the a great speaker here so check that out i'll have that information up here directly um a little behind on posting blogs so but i'll have a few blog posts coming up here this week i'll get posted as well so with that i am casey seymour with sean hackett let's move smart folks out axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment to find more or become an axon dealer please visit axontire.com Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hard work 